0: Welcome to The Check-In, a podcast by the Telos Group on the Telos channel. The Check-In is an every other week or so deep dive into headlines from Israel-Palestine and across the world where we wade into the complexity of seemingly intractable conflict to discover the power of peacemaking to heal us, our community, and our world. This is your host, David Kadabaugh, Director of Communications and Christian Engagement for Telos, checking in from Jaffa for the first time. This is, in fact, the first of what will hopefully be a number of in-person episodes from the land with our Jaffa team and a suite of special guests. Today, we have the venerable Jack Saba, director of our Jaffa office in the studio with us. Since it's in-person today, Jack, we know where you're checking in from. So tell us, how are you checking in right now? What are you bringing into this conversation in one or two words? I'm just
1: so pumped to see you in action, Decat. This is, this is a real uh, privilege right here. Wow. So yeah, thank you. I'm really
0: excited. I'm really, I feel like I'm coming into myself in this studio. There's mics, there's big, a big mixer and headphones. This is, uh, this is real stuff. Uh, today we have a very special guest with us, Ido Conrad, the editor-in-chief of Plus 972 Magazine, an independent online nonprofit magazine whose mission is to provide in-depth reporting, analysis, and opinions from the ground in Israel, Palestine. They do amazing reporting, which we often link to in our newsletter. So if you're not subscribed, subscribe to that now. And we are especially grateful to have Ido with us today. So Ido, thank you for joining us. And how are you checking in today? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um,
2: I'm, uh, you know, excited and um, yeah, I'm stoked. Stoked oh, as we say. Amazing.
0: Out, yeah, yeah we, uh, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So uh, glad that you're bringing your excitement. Um, so we're here, in fact, to discuss the ongoing developments surrounding the inauguration of the newest Israeli government, which has drawn media attention across the world for its brazen adoption of extreme anti-democratic elements and also massive protests across Israel, particularly nearby in Tel Aviv, where last weekend more than a 100,000 people protested in the streets against this new government's policies and goals. So there's much to discuss here, including the newly empowered members of Knesset known for their racist, derogatory, even violent views thrust into ministerial roles. There's the attacks on fundamental democratic ideals and the erosion of the court. There's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his quest to avoid prosecution. But most importantly, and especially for this show and for Telos's work, we want to raise the profile on what this all means for the possibility of peace. And what this will mean, not only for Israelis, including Palestinian citizens of Israel, but especially for the around 5 million Palestinians who live under military occupation of this government, yet who can take no part in its election and functioning. So with international intention and growing internal resistance, the moment is now for peacemakers to tune in and support those working towards mutual flourishing for all people in the land. So let's jump right in, Ido. What's the story first of these protests that we're seeing the past couple of weeks, especially this weekend? Who is coming out? What segments of Israeli society are there? And what are their concerns?
2: These protests are generally a response to what the Israeli government is calling uh, judicial reform. Um, and this is a step that the... has has come up from on high from Prime Minister Netanyahu, um, who's seeking to avoid going to prison, potentially for corruption charges, and he's gonna use any tactic and any strategy at his disposal to try and uh, get away from jail time. And so he's sending out his cronies, basically, people like Justice Minister Yariv Levine, who announced uh, this judicial reform to limit the Supreme Court's uh, ability to uh, overturn laws, um, and to give the Knesset the power to basically override the Supreme Court. This is one of many steps that the Justice Ministry is taking in order to slowly chip away at the, you know, what Israelis refer to as the democratic foundations of the country. And this is one of the things that Prime Minister Netanyahu is interested in doing in paving his way out of his corruption charges. The Israeli right beyond uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is interested in doing this because they want to uh, a, maintain power at any any in any way possible. And they want to do that through minoritarian ways. That is, even if they don't have the majority of the votes to do something, they want to find every possible way to hold on to power. So that means that if um, the Supreme Court knocks down a law, uh, 61 MK, 61 members of Knesset can decide to override that uh, that decision and say, "Well, that law passes anyway, so if there's a law to deport uh African asylum seekers, they want to pass a law to deport African asylum seekers uh the Supreme Court says that is not constitutional that is uh a a that it harms human rights uh basic civil rights of the people living between the 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 river and the sea with sixty one members of knesset um and the knesset the coalition that holds sixty five members of knesset, they can override. Uh, that decision,
0: and so in the, in the Israeli Knesset, that's a simple majority, a simple right? majority, just one twenty. Totally, total. exactly,
2: okay. exactly. And so, this is one part of a large, sweeping set of proposals. There's uh, attempts to politicize the judiciary, judiciary, so that they're not the judges are no longer professionally uh, selected, but they're selected based on their political proclivities. Um, they're, I mean, they're only in phase one, really of. L- of laying out this plan. So Netanyahu is interested in doing this in order to maintain power, in order to avoid jail time. The right wants to do this because it sees that this is the only way that it can really govern by forcing these uh, these kinds of reforms through uh, and changing some of the very fu- fundamental, foundational elements of the Israeli state. Now whether that's a, you know, there are people that will say that's a good thing, it's bad, maybe there, it needs to be some reform. Palestinians have their own opinions about, you know, for, for Palestinians, Israel is not necessarily a democracy, it's a Jewish state, um, it's not a Jewish and democratic state. And so there's, there's a lot of opposition, there's also some ambivalence, and of course the right is, um, and the far right especially, is supporting this thing. I think most importantly, the far right um, is interested in maintaining the occupation forever and annexing, uh, the West Bank, and these this is like its big goal. At the end of the day, the right is not Benjamin Netanyahu, and we need to make a distinction. Netanyahu is trying to like hold this you know circus of of people together, these really far right extreme elements together. But he's at the end of his career. The far right is ascendant in Israeli politics, and the far right, what he wants to do is to maintain power, and what he wants to do with that power is to uh, enshrine Jewish supremacy in a way that is not currently enshrined. That doesn't mean that there isn't Jewish supremacy in Israeli law, but it is to double down on it, to make it clear as crystal, to put it into law, as opposed to, you know, what it is until now. um, It's kind of in between the lines. You can still justify uh, certain things uh, based on security. This is Israel's and Israel's Supreme Court the legitimacy and independence of the Supreme Court has always given a rubber stamp to to this idea of Jewish and, Jewish and democratic. And the world says, okay, there's a Supreme Court um, that uh, is independent and uh, is not political, and that lends legitimacy to uh, to the state of Israel in a lot of ways and the laws that it passes. So they want to undo all that. The right wants to undo all that. It is going full speed ahead saying, we don't need this. We don't need this like world legitimacy thing. Uh, we want... Full control. We want full, unbridled control. We don't want anyone to get involved in telling us how to treat Palestinians in the West Bank. We don't want anyone telling us how to treat Palestinian citizens inside, uh, inside Israel, inside 48. And this is kind of what this government, in a lot of ways, was elected to do. Uh, the slogan of the far right, Otzma uh, Yudit Party, Otzma uh, Yudit Party, which was Itamar Ben-Gvir and uh, and the Religious Zionism Party, Bezalel Smotrich, uh, which ran together. On the same list is is to you know put people in their place, to put Palestinians mostly in their place, to show who's the lord of the land. This was uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir's slogan uh, during the last elections, to show mm. who the landlord is. Um, and uh, this this is what they came to do. Uh, and so these protests, in a lot of ways, are a response to these judicial reforms, but it thi- goes much much deeper. The right wants to do something much much deeper, and so we're seeing. Um, people come out to the streets because they are opposed to this uh, chiseling away at these democratic norms. But if you really kind of dig a little deeper, you see, you ask yourself, what are the democratic norms really all about? Right.
0: right. So, are the the folks who are coming out to, the, to to protest these these proposed reforms? Are how much of the you know the discourse in these spaces also includes conversation about some of these you know larger trends on the right towards you know Jewish supremacy and all those things, or is it? are are the conversations amongst the protesters just around, you know, like protect the court and democracy? Is there space happening within these movements for kind of an anti-occupation Israeli left?
2: There is. It's small. Um, I want to say there's been only three protests. The fourth one is going to be this Saturday evening. Um, So the first protest, which happened three weeks ago, was actually organized by an organization called Standing Together, Omdin um, Bayahad, um, who uh, their their whole thing is to uh, is Jewish Arab um, solidarity, resistance, co-resistance, existence, um, coexistence and um, they were the ones behind the first big protest which had a more the a more I wouldn't want to say radical but a more oppositional and a more po- very overtly political vibe to it. Um, The speakers included uh, the um, head of the joint list, uh, former former head of the joint list, uh, head of the Kadash party, uh, Ayman Odeh, um, and uh, a slew of kind of left-wing and left-leaning people that spoke about the need for uh, Jewish-Arab co-resistance and and to the occupation and equality for Palestinian citizens. This was during the first protest. The second and third protests were far more um, kind of mainstream, very Zionist. Um and you know y- you had a hundred thousand people two weeks ago in Habima Square in Central Tel Aviv you had like one hundred twenty thousand people last week S- a sea of Israeli flags speeches by former generals uh by y- Yair Lapid um the former the now head of the opposition Palestinian citizens are are nowhere to be found really. Uh, Their representatives are nowhere to be found, and very, very few of them are attending. There is a small um, but strong block of anti-occupation, anti-apartheid, anti-colonial Jewish Israelis who are protesting every week. They're organizing, they're coming with Palestinian flags, especially at a time when um, Itamar Ben-Gvir, the national security member, uh, is is announced that he's banning uh, the flying of Palestinian flags in public spaces. so there is a space. The question is what's going to happen with that space and whether this thing is going to continue. Um, I know that this you know you see what's happening with this block is that they are protesting and there' also there's a lot of opposition to them from within these protests as well as counter protesters you know they're being attacked by counter protesters they're also being attacked by the more mainstream Zionist uh, Israelis who are attending.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I've I've been hearing and seeing reports about, especially those kind of anti-occupation, anti-apartheid activists bringing Palestinian flags in this moment and, you know, being confronted by their protesters. And so there's a sense of, you know, maybe this small division growing within this movement. But I'm curious to hear what you think is the future, where, you know, like, are there potential for responses from within the government to respond to this movement? Yeah, I I don't
2: know what the future holds for these... For these protests, um, it's there's something inspiring, uh, and I use that very cautiously. There's something inspiring about seeing hundreds of thousands of people being politicized very quickly. You know, there's something inspiring seeing people s- seeing people say, "Okay, no one is gonna come fight for us." Now we, we gotta take stock of the fact that the majority of the people who are coming out to these protests. Are middle class, upper middle class. They're Ashkenazi. They come from this kind of the old classic elite of Israel so Israeli society, and they see the court, they see the judicial system, they see these institutions that have long been independent um, as again foundational to the existence of the state, as they see it, foundational to their identity in a lot of ways. These are things that cut at the at the core of what it means, I think, to, for them to be Israeli um, in in 2023 and so this is the reason you're seeing immense amount of pe- an immense amount of people out in the streets building on the this is a building on the the so-called Balfour protest that took place in 2020 to protest Netanyahu uh while he was really you know when he was indicted on on uh corruption for corruption charges um this protest movement outside the prime minister's residence in 2020 to basically get him to quit to get him to leave to, to have a mass of people telling him you're no longer w- wanted here. Um, and protests all across the country um, during that time. And this is kind of the next stage in that, I'd say. And so there is something inspiring in seeing people be activated, right? It's like, okay, people, the, the middle class, the bourgeois uh, Israelis are suddenly, this has come, this is at their doorstep now, you know? So they're out protesting. The question is, what form is it going to take? And the question is, how far they're going to go? And and will they get tired? Will they? And what what will the what's the blowback going to be? Mm-hmm. You know what what what's the government what steps is the, are the government going to is the government going to take? Uh, and it really, I think, also we need to think about what the world is going to do in this moment. You know, there's talk of uh, Israel's credit rating being downgraded, which is going to be a huge huge deal. You know, the Israeli economy is something that the is uh, that the the I'd say the right. I wouldn't say the, the the Israeli right has got it right. I would. You know, I, I don't support the way that they run the economy. But in the eyes of the world, you know, creating a a a, a high t- a flourishing uh, tech sector that people you know want to uh, to trade with and and do business with, even if that tech sector a lot of it is dedicated to surveillance and cybersecurity and oppressive measures that are being used against Palestinians and being exported to the world uh, to despotic regimes and democratic regimes alike.
0: Do you think there's do you think there's an opportunity there in this moment from you know perspective of the international community coming to grips with the direction that the government is taking and and even some sort of you know potential reckoning with you know like the things that you're saying and the ways that policies and you know all those things are being used as part of this Look, conflict I, I think it's I think it's
2: Israel's legitimacy has always rested on the international community it I think what's, what's interesting to think about in this one, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I think what's interesting to think about in this government is that there are people who no longer care about international legitimacy. I think Benjamin Netanyahu, as a prime minister, cares about international legitimacy. You know, for as, as, as bad as he is, um, he sees a bigger picture, and he's trying to balance all of these things. He sees who he's in bed with, And he'll say, well, I had to do that because the opposition didn't want to sit with me, you know, for years, which also the opposition sat with him for years. But this is, you know, the explanations that Netanyahu will give himself and Netanyahu's uh, countless amounts of supporters on on Twitter and in the news will echo this statement that he had no choice. He had to sit with Itamar Ben-Gvir, a Kahanist, you know, a follower of uh, Rabbi Meir Kahana, uh, one of, you know, Israel's most kind of outspokenly Overtly racist uh, figures in history, um, he will say, I, "I need to do this. I I was forced to do this. I had no better option." And that being said, he also needs to worry about the Israeli economy and the credit and uh, the credit rating, and he needs to worry about the legitimacy of the state in a lot of ways. Uh, not to mention, he needs to avert o- avert potential, you know, civil unrest. And uh, if you're going to the Palestinian side, you know he has allies, Ben Gvir and Smotrich, who, who want the Palestinian authority to collapse. Now, whether or not we think the Palestinian authority should collapse, whether it's an oppressive structure, I th- whether it's good, bad, we can have that as a separate conversation. The question is what happens when and if it collapses and what that means for Palestinians. And what's been, what that means for Israelis uh, live in, in, in Israel, what that means for Israelis... Um, and Netanyahu is seeing all of these things and n- realizes, I think, that he needs to shut down the pyromaniacs a little bit. So it really will also matter. I think it will also matter what the international community does and what the White House does and whether Netanyahu is able to build an alliance with you know, other people, maybe yeah. a shift away from the United States. I think the the relationship with Hungary and with mm. Poland well mm-hmm. not so much Poland but definitely with Hungary and Eastern European states this is um, this is a kind of backup reserve network of ascending powers in Eastern Europe that are not interested in you know liberal values they're not interested in human rights they're not interested in um, the things that you know most of us believe are good for society and healthy for society.
1: And there's and there's the question of if he'll lean closer to Putin, right? And he'll switch there. But before we get before we dive into all that, there you know just to clarify for our listeners, we're talking about Netanyahu and then the right. Right. As if, you know, for a long time we talked about Netanyahu as the most kind of radical right wing uh, governor or uh, prime minister and and leading governments uh that are, were the most radical right wing um in his latest attempts, you know, tw- towards annexation of the West Bank, etc. And now there's Netanyahu, and then there's this group of pyromaniacs, as you've described them. What's the difference there, and can he manage these guys? I mean, we've got Ben Gvir, who is a kahanist, as you said, he's a public security minister national security Na- minister national he had security. he had the term he had the the the
2: position changed the name of the position changed from public security minister to national security minister because he is protecting the nation and mm-hmm. what's the nation it's the jewish nation the jewish so nation. it's just important to like Not double down state. yeah right. exactly it, what's the public the public includes mm-hmm. me uh, an israeli jew and you uh, a palestinian <inaudible> citizen yeah and the national security minister is like oh it's it's very clear, you know, in in the words mm. in what they want to to convey.
1: But so he's got a big portfolio portfolio yeah. right now, right. um, and that's changed even. He's extended his powers. So if you could talk about that and just the difference between someone like him, and and others like him that are right now in the government and Netanyahu. Yeah, I mean, look, I,
2: I- it's tricky to try and make a distinction and try to say like I. The last thing I want to do is to try and uh, you know defend Netanyahu and make him seem like the uh, uh, the the good person here. Um, I think Netanyahu is interested in um, amassing enough power to uh, not face jail time. This is his number one goal. He does not want to face jail time. He is under indictment for a number of corruption a num- number of corruption uh, scandals, and he is you know, he's seeing where the winds are blowing. Uh, the trials are not necessarily going his way. Um, there is a lot of people who are in the public who are interested. There's public pressure, and, you know, th- to, to see him be thrown in prison. Um, and just in terms of, like, the actual trial, like, there's a good chance that if he isn't able to cancel it or, you know, make some kind of fundamental changes to the, to the trial, that he will end up in prison. He doesn't want that. So... That's what we need to remember. That Netanyahu is has an ideology. He has certain ideology, but at the end of the day, he's self inter- very, very self interested, and his self interest is self preservation in in you know this f- the, the arena of Israeli politics, which is like an especially nasty arena to 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 rumble in. <laughs> so, I, I I think it's important to to it's important in as much as like you know if someone says you know it's all the same like they're the israeli right fascists you know i won't ar- argue with them you know th- because at the end of the day he is whether he is self-interested or whether he's not self-interested he is the enabler mm-hmm. and the fire behind a lot of these things right there is no smotrich there is no ben gvir without netanyahu bringing them in yes. to his coalition so you're
1: saying everything's relative well <laughs> I, I yeah i'm saying <laughs> everything's relative
2: i'm also you know like it's important to say yes smotrich uh A Smotrich is um, who is now going to be in charge of the civil administration, which used to be a purely military uh, position. The person in charge of of the of the civil administration, which is the body um, of the Israeli army that administers the day to day life of the of the millions of Palestinians living in the occupied territories, um, and 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 also like. The settlers, <laughs> in a lot of ways, um, paving roads for Palestinians and for settlers, etc. Permits for Palestinians. Um, so he is now going to be in charge of that body. Netanyahu, I don't think he dreamt of a day in which a f- messianic fundamentalist like Bezalel Smotrich who thinks that there should be separation in hospital in like uh in maternity wards between uh Palestinian women and uh Jewish women and who comes from a very 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 um yeah messianic sector of the religious national religious movement um in Israel i don't think he wanted that like he didn't wake up one morning and say this is how i want this to be i think it probably causes him a much more of a headache to try and control these people. I don't want to say that he doesn't have a choice because he does have a choice. Uh, and I do want to say that he is enabling these things. And I th- still think that we should make the distinction between these people because Netanyahu is going to disappear one day,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Like, I think the point is that we can we can say everything's the same, they're all terrible, fine. And, I, and I'll be like, if someone says that to me, and I'll be like, all right, yeah. But if we are looking at how to understand the Israeli political scene right now, going into the future, And we are trying to think about pockets of resistance and uh, forming new ways of uh, opposition to this thing. I think it's important that we that we lay out these differences, um, and it's important to think about what happens on the day after Netanyahu, whether Netanyahu goes to prison or whether when Netanyahu uh, leaves this world and um, when because the far right isn't going anywhere. The far right is an extremely powerful force, even if it's a minority. Right, it's a minority of people um a lot of people did vote for them one in every 5 Israeli soldier voted for Ben-Gvir in the last election the youth are with the right poll after poll after poll show that young israelis tend to the right um more than their counterparts in uh so called you know western democratic countries uh and so the, these are the trends that i think are important to talk about who is coming after netanyahu uh and 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 what what is that going to look like for for people living here
0: i think it's a really important point especially just noting the momentum that's you know building and growing and continuing as far as especially in relation to the occupation and just the further eroding of rights for palestinians so what exactly is Smotrich even envisioning for his role what like what policies should you know the folks who are listening mainly americans even be paying attention to right as we think about what this means for everyday life for palestinians living in the territories
2: yeah, I mean, Smotrich, um, you can start by looking at the coalitional agreements that Smotrich's party, r- the Religious Zionism Party, uh, signed with Likud at the beginning of every government, every every uh, faction in a coalition lays out its vision and says, we want to do this during this term. And then they sign an agreement. It's a non-binding agreement. It doesn't mean most or some or any of these things will happen, but its vision is laid out in these coalition agreements. And they're very clear that they want to annex the West Bank. Now, To declare annexation is a very difficult thing in this particular moment to do. The White House will oppose it. The international community will oppose it. But Smutrich is going to find, you know, he's very intent on finding ways to do that. He's going to what's called regularize. He's planning on regularizing uh, outposts, which which are basically new kind of uh, illegal wildcat settlements uh, across the West Bank um that you know sometimes just uh, a few dozen caravans or a farm and that the they're illegal according to Israeli law this is something that th- even according to Israeli law these particular settlements are illegal there are settlements that according to Israeli law are not illegal but these outposts have not gone through what is the called the regularization process which is a political process and a bureaucratic process and a legal process and all these things that to 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 basically you know uh, make them kosher in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the Supreme Court, in the eyes of uh, the Israeli political system. Doesn't mean that the, these illegal outposts, the illegal ones, are connected. A lot of them are connected to water and infrastructure. Some of them, the army will come and demolish a few buildings, but uh, they're still, most of them still exist until this day. Smotrich wants to regularize all of these um he's been very clear he wants he ran in 2000 i think he published a plan in 2017 um and there's a whole uh it's published i think on his website in english as well um where he makes very clear he doesn't he doesn't mince words says very clear i think palestinians either need to accept us as their rulers and live under us without you know no resistance or they can leave um and this is, this is where he wants to take, you know, the Israeli state. And he has immensely powerful forces behind him. Mm. This is, you know, this is one of the scariest things that's happening, I think, is that Smotrich is hell-bent on destroying the Palestinian Authority um, and legalizing um, yet-to-be-legalized outposts and making the lives of Palestinians hell in the west bank
1: so what you're saying you know is he might not necessarily do this all at once he won't declare annexation all at once because that will raise red flags in dc but it might happen piecemeal first of all with the regularization of these outposts basically creating the legal entities legal uh, settlements in the west bank you know multiplying them by twofold threefold um to some degree and then will that process just keep going? Is it like a basically a process of creating facts on the ground until there's a situation where is, is, it, is that what you're anticipating?
2: I mean I think just in general colonialism is something that is stopped when someone stops it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And if no one stops it then there's no reason for it to stop and I can see it going continuing and continuing. Now what can stop it is you know, things that happen on the ground, what Palestinians will decide to do, how Palestinians will decide to organize against these things, and the world. But in the eyes of Smotrich, yeah, more more land here, more land here, squeeze Palestinians into cities, turn the West Bank into uh, cantons, you know, like areas that are maybe, this is kind of like in the, the 80s, this is how the, uh, before the establishment of the Palestinian Authority, like mayors, these kind of Israeli-installed mayors, and governors had a lot of power in cities like Hebron and Nablus and Ramallah and maybe established like puppet governments in the West Bank this i mean it can go in so many different ways uh but yeah i think the the if you ask smotrich what the what the end goal is 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 annexation without nav- having to declare annexation and this is not new because israel has been de facto annexing Palestinian land since 1967. So I I think a a big kind of asterisk that I want to put on all of this is that like, it's important, I think, for listeners to understand there's a a continuity here. There might be a paradigm shift, right? The masks might be falling off. People might be much more clear about... The Israeli leaders are probably much more clear about intentions. Um, Things aren't so muddled anymore. I think that's maybe why a lot of Israelis are finally waking up. Um, to a certain degree, but um, but there it's important to say that this is a continuation. Mm-hmm. Take the example of a settlement like Chomish, which is a settlement that was uh that was dismantled in two thousand and five during the Gaza disengagement. There were four settlements in the West Bank that, as part of the Gaza disengagement, were also dismantled. Chomish was one of them. Settlers returned to Chomish; mm-hmm. they returned to Chomish over the last few years. Um, they built a yeshiva there. And there was a murder there, an, an attack. of Palestinian uh, murdered uh, uh, one of the settlers uh, that was praying at the yeshiva. And um, since then, uh, Benny Gantz, the previous defense minister, the previous defense minister, made it impossible for Palestinians to approach the area. He's guarding the Chomish, he sent troops to guard the cho- to guard the yeshiva, which is there illegally because Israel passed a law saying you cannot reestablish these settlements. Mm. So. And now, as part of the coalition agreements, uh, the Religious Zionist Party, I think, or Otzma Yudit, one of the far-right parties, said, uh, we want the reestablishment of the settlement in full, not just the yeshiva, not a wildcat illegal outpost. We want the reestablishment of Chomesh in full. So you can say, that's crazy, and you can say, that's really bad. And at the same time, you say, well, look at what paved the way for that. Right. Look at what paved the way for that, the centrist... -hmm. You know, opposition uh, leader. Yeah, exactly. Like the the White Knight of the Israeli opposition, Benny Gantz uh, and Yair lapid and his government, they made this call. Benny Gantz made this call to to legitimize these steps. So there's always you always got to look like ten steps before. I think when, especially when looking at the uh, at the occupied territories, but even what's happening in inside Israel, there's like ten steps before. How did we get here? And it usually doesn't only have to do with the far right. right. It has to do with the legitimization and the, the the shocks that the Israeli body politic absorbs from all these kind of like right-wing ideas, uh, mainstream politicians that mainstream right-wing ideas like the Jewish nation state law, which was the center, the, the political center, Tzipi Livni, Avi Dichter. These folks were the ones that legitimized a very right-wing idea yes. and, and, and allowed this law to pass in 2018. So... There's there's always a connection. That if you're in the Zionist consensus, you are you are going to be working in tandem. I guess my lo- question was also
1: because because if it's not just a one single shot declaration of annexation, then especially for our American audiences, we run the risk of there not being a reaction from, from the White House, right? Because the White House has been you know, not just this administration, but past administrations, whether supportive or not, uh, of kind of crouching annexation of the West Bank. Right. So, so what should be our listeners again be paying attention to in terms of? So you said, you know, the regularization of these outposts. Um, what should be the red flags for Americans as they're as they're looking at at what's going on now?
2: I mean, the red flags have been should have been waved years and years and years and years ago that's not to you know i'm not trying to preach to anyone and say well where have you been though you know i there's merit to that but everything is a red flag now i think everything is a red flag this government is making very clear what previous government's ambitions were in the west bank i'd say in the occupied territories in general um and going full blast on them um that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be roadblocks. I will you know I think there is. it's worth mentioning that um, there is now currently a struggle between the defense minister, Joav Galant and Bethsla Smotrich, who is the head of the who is the uh, minister in charge of the civil administration. Just a few days ago, a um, uh, settlers established a new outpost in memory of a uh, national religious rabbi who passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, and they established this outpost in the in the West Bank and um soldiers came and dismantled it a few nights after its establishment. And this caused a huge rift in the cabinet between Joav Galant, the who is the um defense minister, who sent basically ordered the uh the dismantling of the of this outpost, and Betzelas Smotrich, who his entire world vision his entire vision his entire world view is based on the establishment of more and more and more of these appos so there are these little contradictions that we're also seeing in i I don't think it's everything's going to go smoothly for this government but i do think that um, they are not hesitant about putting their money where their mouth is Mm. and all of the ambitions of uh you know the occupation um and and really like the deep colonial structures embedded in uh, in the occupation and in, and in Israel as a state
0: are now kind of running wild. And now in the open for, you know, for some, they're able to see it for the first time. I think, uh, you know, in some ways, as you're saying, if I could just summarize, like the moment has always been urgent and it feels even more urgent than ever. And there's an opportunity now, at least for folks in the U.S., to be able to communicate the extent of the, you know, realities here. And just how bad things are because there's no hiding behind these pretensions any longer um i know we we have to wrap up in a couple minutes and i wanted to offer you one last chance to to kind of offer any remarks to our audience you know especially for for the americans listening like what can they do in this moment like obviously like raising the flag around what this new government is intending but any any last thoughts any you know encouragements or uh, you know, like calls for us as as you know the the Telus network to to be peacemakers in this moment. I mean, I think first of all, for people uh, abroad to
2: listen to Palestinians and what they have to say. I mean, there's pa- like Jews, you know, pa- Palestinians have a million opinions. You know, one one Jew three opinions, two Jews three opinions. Same goes for Palestinians. Not there is no one con- consensus based deci- uh, opinion about what to do, but there. But there are various opinions and I, th- I find that a lot of times um, Palestinians even when people want to show solidarity and uh, work in, in, in support of Palestinians, they're doing it without actually listening to Palestinians. So f- in your community, in in your churches and on your in your school boards and in the nearby mosque and anywhere that there are Palestinians organizing, I think it's important to, to organize with them and um i think finding ways as hard as it is and it's getting harder and harder to um call on um elected officials to put pressure on israel to put real pressure on israel um it's a daunting task it's um sometimes feels hopeless uh the possibility that there might be some kind of you know law that's passed uh that criminalizes calls for bds for boycotting israel Um, you know these are laws that have already passed in dozens of states across the united states um is is a scary one and yet i think that the thing that international supporters uh for peace uh for palestinians for uh israelis who are interested in justice and freedom for all between the river and the sea um the best thing that they can do is um raise awareness make connections with palestinians and uh, stop the criminalization of bds and, su- and support action uh to stop israel from continuing to do this because you know you mentioned red flags like the time isn't now the time was years ago
0: a great word to end on uh, and we'll include a couple of resources in our show notes including a how to contact your elected official and you know some sample talking points and things like that that you can use Um, and we'll also point to some of the the reporting that plus 972 has been doing around what's been happening Um, and folks if you're not subscribed please do their reporting is excellent and we we often uh, Source it and share it as widely as we can. Um but Ido, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Your insight is incredibly helpful for us and appreciate all that you're doing in this moment. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, that is our show. As always, if you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um and become a monthly donor to Telos. All this happens because of the generosity. Of our donors. If you want to learn more about this government and what it will mean for Palestinians and Israelis and how you can be a peacemaker in light of it, consider signing up for our Learning Corps. This is the newest program for continued learning for the Telos Network, where every month we offer two exclusive learning opportunities plus multiple resources with acclaimed guests and Telos staff. To walk you through a deeper understanding of the core elements of the issue areas we work in, including Israel-Palestine and the U.S. South. So this month we're discussing the Israeli government, so be sure to sign up for that community now and you can find a link for that in our show notes or on our website. Thanks for listening folks and we will see you next time.